Well, good morning, everybody, as you take your seats. Go ahead and open up your Bibles to the book of Joshua. We're going to be in, uh, beginning in Joshua chapter 3 this morning. And we've seen so far in our study that Joshua has been commissioned by the Lord to lead his people into the promised land. We've seen the people express their commitment to follow And last week we saw that the spies went in to scope out the land and interwoven through this wonderful redemption story of Rahab, we find out that the inhabitants of the land are trembling in fear over the imminent arrival of the people who belong to the God of heaven and earth. And now this morning we see that the day has finally come. The day that The people of Israel had been waiting for it. It was over 500 years earlier that the Lord had promised Abraham this land for his offspring. And what a long half millennium it's been. 400 of these years, the descendants of promise were enslaved in Egypt. The last 40 years after having been delivered from Egypt, they've been wandering in the wilderness and now, now God says... It's time. This is the generation to go in. It's time for God's people to enter, to conquer foreign nations and to find rest in the land of promise. Chapters 3 through 5 tell the story of their entrance into the land. Many battles lay ahead, but here this morning we'll see that the initial stage of conquest matters greatly as the Lord prepares his people and makes them ready to carry the mission forward. Mission prep is essential for any significant undertaking. In view of the military invasion about to take place, we, we might reasonably expect that the most important preparation needed might be combat strategy. However, what we're about to see is that far more important than this preparation is the preparation that's needed for the people's hearts. In entering the land of promise, what the Lord is foundationally concerned with is the readiness of his people's hearts to be able to properly carry out what he's called them to. And so in his perfect wisdom, The Lord trains his people by bringing them into the land in such a way that their hearts are prepared for the remainder of the mission. He teaches them that they must trust him and follow his instructions if they're going to be successful. He instills in them that they must always remember that ultimately it's his might and his following through with his word that's going to give them the victory. He makes sure that they're committed to identifying with him as his set-apart people, and he moves them to contemplate the history of their redemption while also looking forward to the fulfillment of his promises. As you hear me say these things, maybe you can't help but to recognize how this parallels what needs to be true of the church. See, what we find in this story is not only how the hearts of the people of Israel under Joshua's leadership 
need to be prepared for mission, but how our hearts too also need to be prepared for mission as we strive forward under the leadership of the greater Joshua, the Lord Jesus Christ. We're going to see this morning how we ought to think and live for his praise as we bring forth the good news of his kingdom to a lost and dying world while we seek the rest that he has promised to us. So here's what we need to see first. See this, to be mission ready, we must cross over in faith and obedience. We must cross over in faith and obedience. In chapter 3, we see precisely how God brought his people from one side of the Jordan River into the promised land on the other. In chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, Then Joshua rose early in the morning, and they set out from Shittim. And they came to the Jordan, he and all the people of Israel, and lodged there before they passed over. As they, if, if we were to continue reading, we would see that as they come to the Jordan and God directs Joshua, Joshua then in turn directs the priest and all the rest of God's people and he tells them to get ready. For the priests are to take up the Ark of the Covenant and they are to go before the people and they're to step foot into the waters of the river. At which time God would cause the water to cease completely from flowing. And the whole nation, they were to watch this from a distance. And when this happens, they were to cross over on dry land. A couple of noteworthy points to make here. First, if this sounds like an echo of what happened when God delivered his people out of Egypt, when he caused the Red Sea to part for them, if you're thinking that, then you'd be right. We're supposed to, at this point, just as the people of Israel were supposed to think of the mighty working of God and see this as, again, the same faithful and powerful God leading and guiding his people. Also, the Ark of the Covenant is extremely significant in what is going on here in this story. The Ark of the Covenant is where God's presence was symbolically understood to dwell amongst his people. God had told them, I will be with you, and the Ark of the Covenant was a vivid demonstration of this. I should also say something here about the river itself. I don't know what comes into your mind as you picture the Jordan River, but just to be clear, this is no timid stream. I read this week that the Jordan River at its widest point could be anywhere from 90 to 100 feet wide, and at its deepest point could be 10 to 12 feet deep. And listen, this is to say nothing at all of the overflowing banks at this particular time of year. The, the writer takes um, a point to mention in verse 15 that this is the time of year when the waters overflowed all the boundaries of the river. This is not the most practical place for an entire nation of hundreds of thousands of men plus women and children to enter enemy territory. But listen, that's precisely the point. God wants them and us to know that if they're going to enter the promised land, it's going to be because he brought them in. He wants them to exercise faith and obedience in the face of an impossible situation. 
trusting the Lord and following all that he commands them to do. And listen, church, this is what he requires of us also. Our God wants his people to do what he says. He wants us to put our trust in him. He wants us to do this in our present circumstances so that we'll be strengthened in faith for what God has promised still to do in our lives ahead. Look at your Bibles at chapter 3 and verse 10. Joshua said, Here is how you shall know that the living God is among you, and that he will without fail drive out from before you the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Hivites, the Perizzites, the Girgashites, the Amorites, and the Jebusites. Behold, the ark of the covenant of the Lord of all the earth is passing over before you into the Jordan. Now therefore, take twelve men from the tribes of Israel, from each tribe a man. And we'll see what these men are for in just a moment. Verse 13, And when the soles of the feet of the priest bearing the ark of the Lord, the Lord of all the earth, shall rest in the waters of the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan shall be cut off from flowing, and the waters coming down from above shall stand in one heap. God is crystal clear here why he's doing it this way. Listen, he, he, he tells him, I told you, I'm giving you this land, the land that I swore to your fathers, to Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, a land that is filled with great cities that you did not build and houses filled with great things that you did not fill and cisterns that you did not dig and vineyards and olive trees that you did not plant, a land flowing with milk and honey, and I will drive out the inhabitants of this land before you. And here's a sign that I will surely do all this. Watch the way that I bring you across the border in the first place. I'll stop this river in its tracks. But listen, he doesn't do this apart from the faith and obedience of his people. Look at the beginning part of verse 14. It simply says, so when the people set out from their tents to pass over the Jordan. I love that. The people just simply get up and go. They obey. And the rest of the chapter goes on to tell us that it all happened just as the Lord said it would happen. Of course it did. Think of what the people didn't do. They didn't dig in their heels and question God. They didn't shrink back in fear. They, they didn't say, that this is absurd. Why would you bring us here, put this river in front of us, and tell us to cross over it? Why, why doesn't he just do it the way I would do it? Really, that's what we say in our hearts oftentimes, if, if we're honest, if we really think about it. We see the obstacles in our lives and we think, well, why didn't God just do it the way I would do it? That would be much better. This, this is what the literal fathers of this generation did. Remember, this is not the same generation of people whom God brought out of Egypt, right? This is the second generation. The former people... Whom, whom God was prepared to bring into the land, they, they didn't exercise faith in Him. 
They didn't obey his words. Instead, they grumbled, they, they rebelled, and they turned aside to their own way. They didn't believe that God could do it. They didn't obey, and, and so they were judged to spend 40 years wandering so that none of that generation would enter the land except the two spies who did trust in the Lord, Caleb, and of course, Joshua. The Apostle Paul in the New Testament holds that generation up before the church and he says, don't be like them. See, see you and I, we, we have a choice to make. Will we be like the first generation or will we be like the second? We must always trust God, no matter what, and follow what he says. The former generation, when God was, was leading, they wouldn't follow. And then you know what they did after this? They, they had second thoughts and they, they said, okay, 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 we're, we're going to go, we're going to go. And Moses said, no, no, don't go. The Lord is not in it. And then they tried to go when God wasn't leading. And we need to be careful to live carefully in both of these regards. We, we must not refuse to go where, where God is leading and we mustn't forge ahead when God isn't leading. You know, maybe for us, there's not a river nor an ark. But listen, uh, the principle remains. To prepare us for mission, God brings us right up close to many obstacles Circumstances that seem impossible, so, so hopeless and unattainable. And he says, put your faith in me. I am with you. I will not leave you or forsake you. I am with you even to the end of the age. Obey me. Follow my commands. Don't go your own way. And I will bring you over you will not be washed away. So we must cross over in faith and obedience. Now second, we learn from these chapters that in order to be mission ready, we must commemorate His faithfulness and power. We must commemorate His faithfulness and power and we see in chapter 4 that the pattern continues. The Lord commands Joshua. Joshua commands the people. And then they all do what the Lord says. Here's what we see God wants from His people next. Immediately upon crossing the Jordan, He wants them to set up a memorial that will serve as a perpetual sign pointing to what He did for them this day. Look at chapter 4 and verse 1. It says, when all the nation had finished passing over the Jordan, the Lord said to Joshua, take 12 men from the people, from each tribe a man, and command them, saying, take 12 stones from here, out of the midst of the Jordan, from the very place where the priest's feet stood firmly, and bring them over with you, and lay them down in the place where you lodged tonight. Once all had crossed over, uh, these 12 men with, with the 12 stones 
hoisted up on their shoulders. They also came up over to the other side. And then Joshua called the priest to come out. And, and look what it says down in verse 18. It says, When the priest bearing the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord came up from the midst of the Jordan, and the soles of the priest's feet were lifted up on dry ground, the waters of the Jordan returned to their place and overflowed all its banks as before. Just in case anyone thinks that this all was just some kind of mere coincidence, as though maybe the river just happened to dry up, or, or maybe there just happened to be a, a landslide and, and Israel just happened to be in the right place at the right time. No. The moment the priest's feet entered the water, the water stopped. And the moment the last sandal exited, here comes the rushing current. This was all of God. This is a marked demonstration of His power on display for His covenant people. He swore to bring them into the land and now in His faithfulness, He surely has brought it to pass. He is faithful. God's people must always remember this. We tend to forget though, don't we? We often get caught up in the busyness of other pursuits and we get to thinking about and talking about so much else. And, and this is why many times throughout the Word of God, He tells His people, remember. Remember what I did for you. Remember. In His grace, the Lord orchestrates a visual memorial that will be right there in the place called Gilgal, that the place, this is the place that would come to serve as, as their base of operation, so to speak. They would see this often. People would pass by and they would notice the 12 stones. And what we want to see from God's Word this morning is that when it comes to these stones of remembrance, is that it's meant to reach a manifold audience. It's, it's meant to reach a threefold audience with the message of the great power and faithfulness of the one true and living God. And what I want us to see this morning more specifically is that this is not just for some ancient people in some ancient land with some ancient God who did something cool in a river way back then. Rather, we can quite readily see that what the Lord has in mind here is really right in line with the consistent message of the rest and mission that He's given to all His people for all time. Let's consider the three onlookers. Notice first that God's people need to remember for themselves His faithfulness and power. Look at the beginning of verse 6. Joshua says that this may be a sign among you. Look down at the end of verse 7 now. So these stones shall be to the people of Israel a memorial forever. And then if you drop down all the way to the end of verse 24, it says that the reason for these stones is that you may fear the Lord your God forever. Clearly this commemorative 
uh, fixture was meant to stand before the people of God so that they themselves would look upon it and often remember that our great God did for us what he said he would do and he did it in a way that only he could. His power and his faithfulness are so great and surely he will bring to pass all that he said he would. Maybe you need to hear that today. If you're in Christ, let me remind you that he came for you. The Son of God came on a rescue mission to to deliver you from the power of sin. He came to pay the penalty for your sin and He was raised in power from the dead so that you too could walk in newness of life and have hope for life everlasting. He's already done all of this for you. And He calls you into his family. He adopts you as his beloved. And listen, Jesus is faithful to his promise. He will come again for you. He will bring you into his kingdom where you will enjoy perfect peace and rest in his presence for all eternity. Where's your visual reminder for this, you might ask? Well, it's in your hand right now. It's the Word of God. See, God's way of doing things is not to uh, uh, just repeatedly and often bring about new miracle after new miracle after fresh showing and display of His power. He gives us His Word and He reminds us of what He's done for us. See, next in this text this morning that God's people need to teach their children about His faithfulness in power. This is the the second audience we see. Look again at verse 6. This time now at the second half of the verse. It says, When your children ask in time to come, what do these stones mean to you? Then you shall teach them, you shall tell them that the waters of the Jordan were cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord when it passed over the Jordan. The waters of the Jordan were cut off. This is repeated again in verses 21 and 22. God is concerned for the children of Israel that their parents would tell them of the great faithfulness and power of God. So parents, let me encourage you to to tell your kids about the great things that the Lord has done. Tell them how He's never forgotten His people. Tell them how all things are possible for Him. Tell them how Jesus died for the forgiveness of sins and rose from the grave three days later. And tell them again and again and again. The people of God need to teach their children about His faithfulness and power. And then thirdly, God's people need to proclaim to the whole world His faithfulness and power. The Lord wants the whole world to see what great things He's done, to to hear about Him so that they too might call out to Him and be delivered from the penalty of sin. The judge of all the earth is coming and all must give an account If you look at verse 24, 
what you see is, is these words, so that all the peoples of the earth may know that the hand of the Lord is mighty. This, this is also the reason for this stone memorial of remembrance. He wants the nations to see the great power and faithfulness of the God of Israel. But just as we saw with Rahab last week, anyone who recognizes the faithfulness and power of God and turns to Him, anyone from any nation of of any tribe of all the earth, if they turn and place their faith and hope in the God who forgives, such a one shall be saved. He's given us a part to play in this. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. This is our mission. Be prepared. Consider how you can use your life and, and again, maybe just taking the principle of this text, consider what visuals you might put in your home or or maybe in your office or, or wherever place you dwell or inhabit where others might come that might provoke them to ask, what is that? You know, what, what is this? Why do you do this? Why do you have this here? And then tell them of the great power and faithfulness of our great God. Maybe you're listening this morning and you haven't put your hope and faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. I need to tell you that He is the only hope. This God of of Israel, He is the God of all the earth. He he is the maker of heaven and earth, of all the stars and sky, of, of all the earth and seas, of all the mountains you see, and of every single person, including you. He made you. He created you to worship Him. He created you to know Him. And yet every single one of us have have strayed and rebelled. We turned aside to our own way. We think we have a better plan than God. We, we think that we are good enough in and of ourselves to merit some kind of eternal life. And, and yet what I need to tell you today is without faith in, in this God that we're reading about this morning and hearing about with, without looking to His Son whom He sent into this world to save sinners then you have no hope. You will be justly judged by God. And I want to call you this morning to to look to Him and be saved. To look to Him as Lord. To to commit to obey Him. To to recognize that apart from Him, you, you cannot stand before Him on that last day. But in faith, you, you can. You, you can say, like we sang this morning, Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. You can join the church and praise the Lord Jesus Christ now and for all eternity. And you too can come and you can commemorate His faithfulness and power to your children and to the watching world. Next, from our text this morning in chapter 5, we see that to be mission ready, we must consecrate ourselves and our community. 
after the Lord brought his people over the Jordan and, and had them set up the memorial stones to prepare them further to go forward in the mission, he tells Joshua to circumcise the sons of Israel. Now, from a worldly perspective, this was not great timing. They're in the land, they're in enemy territory. And verse 1 tells us that the nations they were about to conquer knew very well what had just happened. How the Lord dried up the water for them to come over. And the nations were terrified. They were trembling in fear. It seems like this might be the perfect time to attack. What it would seemingly not be a perfect time for is circumcising all the males so as to effectively disable the entire army. But look at verse 2. At that time, the Lord said to Joshua, Make flint knives and circumcise the sons of Israel a second time. Not that these individuals themselves had already been circumcised. We know from the following verses they hadn't. But to reinstate the practice that had been neglected for an entire generation. Circumcision was the sign of the covenant given to Abraham and his descendants whereby a people are set apart for loyal service to the Lord. It was a mark of identification, of relationship with Yahweh, of a consecrated life to Him, together with the collective of His people. And though the former generation treated circumcision as such, this was never intended to be just merely an outward sign. Listen to the words of Deuteronomy chapter 10, uh, beginning in verse 12. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God and to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord which I am commanding you today for your good? Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens, the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart and love on your fathers and chose their offspring after them, you above all peoples as you are this day. Listen to what he says. Circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. See what God is seeking in this covenant sign of circumcision is hearts that are wholly devoted to him. This is what the people are committing to here as they consecrated themselves before the Lord in this way. This was such a necessary part of their mission prep. They needed to do this now so that they could continue to walk in faithfulness as a distinct people set apart for God's own possession. How could they go in and, and conquer their enemies while they were still just like them? Listen, the same is true for us on our mission. If we're going to be prepared to enter enemy territory and shine the light of the gospel of the glory of Jesus Christ into the very depths of darkness, if, if we're going to be prepared to enter his rest, then we must be fully devoted to the Lord. We must be consecrated to his faithful service. God wants our whole heart. And he wants us all 
each and every one of our hearts. Recognize this in verse 3. And again, notice the obedience of Joshua and the people that just rings through like, or, or runs through like a thread. Verse 3 says, So Joshua made flint knives and circumcised the sons of Israel at Gibeoth, Haraloth. And then in verse 8, it says the whole nation. They obeyed the word of the Lord. And what we see here is that consecration is both an individual and a community endeavor. Can you imagine if, if there were certain men or, or boys or youth in the camp who said, you know what, nah, I'm, I'm going to pass on this command. I'm, I'm going to sit this one out. You guys go ahead. That would have been absurd, right? This was a community endeavor. They were all to be loyal and, and faithful to the Lord their God. And so it is with the church of Jesus Christ. We're in this together. And this is why, by the way, we, we hold one another accountable in our walk with the Lord Jesus Christ. This is why we encourage and admonish and even rebuke at times. Brothers, sisters in Christ, let us purify ourselves as our Savior Himself is pure. Let us live out our, our loyal service to Him, being concerned for the faithfulness of the whole, not merely outwardly, but inwardly from devoted hearts as we carry out the mission. And let us do this all the while rejoicing that the Lord has been overwhelmingly faithful to us and He will be until our redemption is complete. This brings us to our concluding passage this morning. Look with me. Still in chapter 5. Uh, now at verses 10 through 12. While the people of Israel were encamped at Gilgal, they kept the Passover on the 14th day of the month in the evening on the plains of Jericho. And the day after the Passover, on that very day, they ate of the produce of the land, unleavened cakes and parched grain, and the manna ceased the day after they ate of the produce of the land. And there was no longer manna for the people of Israel, but they ate of the fruit of the land of Canaan that year. Recognize how awesome this is, church. Here we see, finally, that to be mission ready, we must celebrate our past and our future. We must celebrate our past and we must celebrate our future. In yet another demonstration of His sovereignty, the Lord brings His people into the land just in time to celebrate the Passover meal. This story has God's providence written all over it. On the very same day of the very same month of the first Passover, here they are on this day Having just witnessed anew his steadfast faithfulness, they look back and they celebrate how their God saved them from the bondage of Egypt. 
how the blood of the Lamb made a covering for them on the day of God's wrath. And not just this, but they say goodbye to the manna that they'd been eating for the last 40 years. Indeed, God had provided for them in this way, and yet he did so like this so as to foster within them a longing for a better day. A day when they would enjoy the abundance of rich food in the land that flows with milk and honey. They'd been waiting and waiting and waiting for this day. They'd been waiting to enter the land of promise. They'd been waiting to enjoy the produce, the rich produce of the land. Here, this very day, he gives them a foretaste of the plentiful provision that they will enjoy when they reach their rest in the land. As they ate from the harvest that day, there must have been such joyful celebration. As they looked back during the Passover meal and as they looked ahead to what was to come in their future. And these same perspectives must be true. They must be our perspectives as well. If we don't, if we don't celebrate our past and our future, Listen, church, we will be left unprepared in the mission that he's called us to. We celebrate our past redemption together as a perpetual reminder of the great things that God has done for us. We, we do this every time we partake of the Lord's table like we did last week. We look back at the true Passover lamb our Lord Jesus Christ. And we rejoice because He purchased our salvation with the price of His own blood. It is so good for us and, and right for us to celebrate often what a great deliverance He has provided for us. Of course, on the Sundays when we take communion together, but also Beyond that, listen, in every song that we sing, in, in every sermon that we hear or preach, in every moment of our lives, in our own time in the Word, in our own prayers, as we pray with others, as, as we contemplate our own thoughts throughout our days, in our conversations with each other, we must always be celebrating what He has done for us. And while we do this with one eye on our past, we keep one eye on the future. And we celebrate His sure and certain promise that He will indeed bring us into the land. He will indeed bring us into the eternal city that He has prepared for us where we will find our rest forever with Him. Let's pray.